0: Primary care knowledge boost, equality and diversity in general practice. Welcome to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Um, Today um, we have a bit of a different topic for you, um, but a very interesting one. Um, We speak to Dr Maida Raza, who is a GP um, with a varied side hustle um, in terms of um, equality and diversity um, compassion, empathy, teaching, communication skills, mentoring. She does all sorts um, and she's come on to speak to us today. Yeah, it was amazing to speak to her. She's got um, a really
1: lovely take on uh, why it's important, why we should all care about equality and diversity and kind of the current landscape. So she talks us through some of the terms that are really useful to have, as well as why it's important. Uh, and then we moved on to um, some examples and what the NHS are doing and what could be done better in the NHS um, for colleagues and people to be aware of of all all different types of diversity and equality issues.
0: Yeah, exactly. She gives some fab resources at the end as well um, for people who want to hear more. Um, But it is a really lovely overview of the topic um, and she speaks really well to it. Um, So we hope you enjoy.
2: It's a pleasure to be here today. So my name's Maida um, and I'm a GP by background. Um, I do a few of the things as well. So I work as a communication skills teacher at Manchester Medical School. I've taken on some roles with the NHS Leadership Academy, Personalised Care Institute. Um, I became a mentor last week for Warwick University, Warwick University, shall I say, which is uh, quite interesting. But I think my main interest, um, and I guess one of the reasons why I'm here today, is in compassion and empathy and how powerful this can be. Mm. Um, so I actually run courses with a super knowledgeable expert patient for healthcare workers, mm. and we predominantly focus on empathy, compassion. And through this work, I've I've been really fortunate um, enough to be able to interact with lots of delegates, um, especially those who have got their primary qualification from abroad, um, and so also international medical graduates, allied healthcare professionals. Um, so that's something I've been dedicating quite a lot of my time to over the last couple of years. Um, and it's also one of the reasons how I became interested in the in the topic of tonight's um, podcast as well. Amazing,
1: yeah. Also very varied, very interesting. So we'll we'll keep to the topic. And yes. um, so how how did you become interested about teaching around equality and diversity?
2: Yeah, so a few reasons really. Um, yeah, you know, I'm going to try and stay really focused and on time today because I think this is one of those topics that I could just talk about all day. So I'm going to try my best to um, just be really focused. So. I think um, one main reason, being a person of colour, so my heritage is South Asian, um, and so I've got lived experience of being on the end, um, on the receiving end of cultural insensitivities. And so I guess it's quite hard not to be interested in this topic. Um, yeah. And I guess as well, that lived experience, it's also made me acutely aware who's in the room with me at all times so for example if I'm in a room making key decisions and there's no diversity or representation or even people of colour um, that's become quite a big red flag to me really um, and I guess another big factor as well so as I mentioned before I run training courses in empathy and I've been fortunate enough to meet some really wonderful um, international medical graduate clinicians and I've been listening to their stories of racism, injustice, inequality, lack of representation. And it's just, it makes me feel incredibly sad. And, you know, you feel a bit emotive. I I feel quite emotional now actually talking about it. Um, And I actually remember, you know, there was like a light bulb moment almost. And I remember the moment so clear. I was in the car with my husband and, you know, we were going to get a, um, a coffee to get our caffeine fix. And I remember just being quite frustrated, um slash annoyed, slash angry, and any of the negative emotion that fits. Um, because I just did a course and I'd listened to some really awful, you know, lived experiences that were being shared with me. Um, and I'm quite lucky because my husband's quite a reflective, insightful person. And I think after having that really open, honest, empathic conversation with me, it kind of made me realise things need to change a bit. And I guess that led, that motivated me really to use my voice to highlight issues such as those that we've discussed today. So me being me, um, it kind of consumed my life. So I became really passionate about it. You know, lots of late nights reading and researching and listening and reflecting and then battling a bit of imposter syndrome just for good measure. Um, but also sharing thoughts with my colleagues, some of which were helpful, some of which weren't so helpful, but I'll I'll touch on that. Um, and I guess um, it's kind of snowballed as things often have a habit of doing, and and that's where I've ended up today, really. So that was a really long answer to a very short
0: question. (laughs) Fabulous, and it's nice to hear the journey and get the full um, rounded picture before we start, for sure. Um, And you kind of have touched on it um, a bit there, um, but why why is it so important that we talk about this? Why is it important to get the message out um, to people in primary care about equality and diversity? Yeah, so I think um, diversity in
2: itself is extremely important in the NHS, and just to clarify, diversity doesn't just include people of different ethnicities, although that's what my lived experience is. You know, it also includes appreciating different genders, abilities, orientations, socioeconomic groups, identities, and so much more. Um, but I really do believe, in order to be to be successful in diversity in any company, um, there has to be inclusivity. So without going into a sort of literature deep dive, um, there are so many studies that are referenceable that show that diverse leadership teams in healthcare have significantly lower mortality rates. They've also found that diversity in leadership can lead to improved organisational performance and decision making. And they have found that companies with more diverse boards of directors had significantly better financial performance than those with less diverse boards. And we all know that having diverse representation, especially in leadership positions, can help to create a more inclusive and welcoming environment for our patients and staff from diverse backgrounds. And that's exactly what I found through my conversations that I've been having with the clinicians who attend my courses as well. And just to add to this as well, you might have heard of someone called Nancy Klein. Um, So she is a famous coach um, from America, and she pioneered the thinking environment so the thinking environment is where the finest thinking innovation generation happens and we're great at this in primary care because we're always innovating aren't we and uh, she mentions 10 ingredients to produce that innovative atmosphere and as you might expect equality and diversity are in there as two of the vital ingredients so it just shows really diversity is needed it's got multiple benefits but I think it can only truly work in conjunction with inclusivity and I think maybe that's where we're falling short a little bit And I just wanted to touch on inclusivity a little bit, if that's okay.
0: Yeah.
2: So I think it goes sort of quite nicely hand in hand with with diversity. So for me, inclusivity is where people feel valued and respected as individuals because we're all so different from one another in so many wonderful ways. Um, But you might have seen this sadly recently, a Pulse survey found that one in five young GPs had experienced racism. And I was really shocked at that because that's so high. That's like 20%, isn't it? My maths is terrible, but I'm pretty sure that's 20%. 20%. Um, Mm. And and even prior to recording this podcast, um, I posted on LinkedIn because that's my social media of choice now. I've got rid of all the other ones. Just to see if anyone had had any similar experiences that they wanted to share. And again, sadly, I was inundated with healthcare workers of all different kinds of roles. who've experienced similar things. And again, it was just really sad to hear about it really. So... We've got the lived experiences to hear as well. So I think really what remains is maybe just be open and honest and just open up that dialogue a little bit, um, which is great because we get to have conversations like this where we can be so open and honest. And it, it actually reminds me of a time when I tried to have a conversation with somebody who is now an ex-colleague, um, and they they weren't a person of colour. And I brought up the idea of you know a session discussing racism, which was quite a brave thing for me to do at the time, I think. And their response was something similar to, well, if you do that, it makes it into a bigger deal and it draws attention to it. And I just remember thinking, wow, okay.
0: (laughs) Sorry, I was just going to ask actually, just on that topic, see when you were talking there about um, some of the comments and things that you had from people when you asked, was that um, they'd experienced racism from colleagues as opposed to patients?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. So some had experienced it from colleagues, quite a few from senior colleagues, um, and a few from patients as well. So it was kind of a, a sort of multi directional approach, which just just made it even more heartbreaking to read. Really, yeah, that's awful. I think just as well, one thing that it might be helpful to note is, I think it's probably trying important to try and empathise with the with those kind of you know lived experiences, even if it's an issue that hasn't affected you before just trying trying to use a bit of empathy and compassion my two favorite words in the English language of of how it might feel to be on the receiving end of a of a cultural in, insensitive comment because I have and I remember just you know when I'd started a role once upon a time and so my whole whole life my name's been a bit of an issue for people to pronounce which is fine I'm used to it now um, but I quite like and respect the people who ask me, um, you know, how would you like it to be pronounced? Is this OK? Because um, I think it just shows a certain level of respect, really. And I remember I'd started a role and, you know, one of my colleagues was trying to give me a nickname. He said, oh, your name's too difficult to pronounce. I want to call you this instead. <laughs> Is that OK? You know, re- I remember thinking, well, mm, that's kind of not my name. Um, and, you know, in the moment, it's quite difficult because, you know, your emotions come out and you freeze and... I call it my chimp brain taking over so the adrenaline goes and I've got a freeze response so I can't think of anything clever or articulate to say and I think I probably just said something like oh just call me doctor then Um, and then I went home and I thought of five brilliant things to say on the drive home that I should have said in the moment as you often do and I just remember thinking you know if you can pronounce a name like Penelope which has got way more syllables in than Mida, then you know you can take that little sort of extra step of a few seconds just to check and and make sure and that's an ethos I try and live by with patients with friends yeah. with family with colleagues because I think your name is the most personal thing about you and it really does show just a little bit of respect if you can take that you know those first few seconds just to make sure you get it right really
1: yeah absolutely it's, it's so important and yeah it's interesting about what you said With the different responses that you could have had and, yeah, the chimp paradox and the the way that your brain doesn't always do that in the moment, absolutely. So it might be worth for people listening to have um, a bit more of an idea of of some of the types of experiences that, that people might come across. Have you got
2: any examples? Um, yes, yeah, so I've probably got loads of examples swelling around in my head, but I'm just trying to think of one that probably will be useful for our listeners. And um, one thing I encountered a lot, especially when I was training in hospital, so when I was still a trainee, um, is sometimes patients would complain about other doctors that they'd seen. And the complaints would be really focused around, I couldn't understand what he was saying or, you know, and you could tell they were just racist undertones to to what, what they were complaining about, really. Yeah. Um, And I think at the time, maybe because I was quite young and naive, I felt a bit like, oh my gosh, this is so inappropriate. I know exactly what's going on here. I've seen this smirk before. And, you know, you want to be able to call it out, but sometimes it's really hard because you don't have the tools and you don't really know what to say and what's appropriate. But now, given that I've got umpteen years more experience, I think I'd probably go back and and tell my younger self just to call it out. And now quite often, you know, I might just say, oh, really, that's strange because I could understand him absolutely fine. Yeah. And quite often that's sometimes enough just to sort of push back and say, I know what you're saying, that's not appropriate, but it's really tricky, really hard to do in the situation. But it does happen, unfortunately, and it's again, it's sad, but it's worth, you know, addressing it head on really because I quite often find, in life in general, if these little things, if you don't address them, they fester and they snowball and they turn into something much bigger.
1: Yeah, because um, that is really common. I've I've definitely come across that as well.
0: Yeah. Um, I wonder if it might be useful to take a moment to talk about terminology, because um, I feel like that's really important when it comes to this topic area. Um, I wondered if um, you might um, help us might talk about some of the terms that we should be familiar with and what they actually mean.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, this this is probably laced with my personal preferences. (laughs) But um, in general, I I, I try and shy away from terms that reduce people, especially people of colour, to sort of amorphous, homogenous blobs is the way I like to describe it. And so for that reason, that's why I really dislike the BAME label, which I think is sort of falling out of favour now. Mm. But I guess, yeah, it's probably worth um, being aware of a few phrases and I mentioned earlier about inclusivity and, and how important that is. And I think again, with inclusivity hand in hand, comes something called psychological safety. And this isn't necessarily, you know, a sort of diversity terminology, but it's probably a terminology we should be aware of. Um and for those of you who haven't heard it, so there's a wonderful professor from Harvard called Amy Edmondson. And she coined the phrase, so it's it's about molding a group or team where people feel safe enough to stick their neck on the line and say what they're truly feeling or experiencing. And you can see how that's important in in a topic such as the one we're discussing today. Um, But it can also be really tricky to do because it relies a lot on trust and, you know, having that sort of courage to speak up, really. So all the evidence shows that those of us that can mould psychologically safe teams tend to be happier than, than those who can't. And it's probably quite closely linked to compassion. empathy as well so they're my two favorite words again um so yeah that's probably worth knowing about a few others um allies or allyship so again i think this is a bit of a buzzword isn't it we hear a lot about showing allyship or being an ally so what this involves is supporting marginalized individuals so speaking up but not for them and at the end of the podcast today, I'll signpost to a really good resource that looks at allies in a bit more detail and a bit more articulately than I can I can uh, describe. But um, I just want to relate it back to my lived experience earlier. So I really wish I had an ally in that moment because your mind goes blank, you know, and, and you're in a moment and you feel like, oh, that's a bit of an insensitive comment. Um, I think an ally then probably would be really helpful because, you know, sometimes emotions flood in and you can't find something eloquent or articulate to say. So this is where allies can be really, really helpful. And allies can be anyone. You know, you don't need to have lived experience to be an ally. You just need to be empathic and show a bit of compassion. Um, another terminology probably worth being aware of, uh, microaggressions. So um, these are often small, inadvertent, in commas, um, innocuous comments that might come from a place of bias. Um, Now, it's probably important to note here that I'm no angel. We all have biases. Um, Some are conscious, some are subconscious. Um, But I guess it's just about being mindful of them and not acting in a way that might hurt another person, which essentially is, is what a microaggression is. And I remember I said something the other day and I had to really check in with myself afterwards because I didn't think it was particularly mindful. So it's a learning process. And I'm sure we've all done and said things in the past, you know, that aren't particularly mindful, could have been seen as a microaggression. But I guess the ethos is about learning and growing. So just being aware of it and just checking in with yourself is probably really, really helpful. And um, one microaggression that I see a lot, I don't know about you, you might see it as well, is in flyers for conferences. And sometimes you might see that the male presenters, they've got their titles visible as Professor so-and-so and Dr. so-and-so. And you'll see the female um, presenters and it'll just be their first name. Um, you know, they will have skipped the professor or the doctor, even though they are. And I think that's still um, that's still a bit annoying to see in 2023. So, yeah, that's sometimes one that that you sometimes come across. And then the last one I'll mention um, and I'm only mentioning it really because Westminster have adopted this in all their new communications, so if the Prime Minister's using it, we probably should be aware, um, and it's a term called global majority. So this is a term that is um, being used to replace ethnic minority because it's a truer reflection of the population, which makes total sense. Um, it's a fairly new term. I'm not sure how about how I feel about this personally, but I guess it's worth knowing because we're probably going to be hearing hearing it loads more. So explain that a little bit more. So it would replace ethnic minority. So at the moment we use ethnic minority to describe people of Mm colour. But if you look at that um, in sort of comparison with the rest of the population of the world... You know, if I was living in Asia, I wouldn't be an ethnic minority. I'd actually be the global majority. Um, so it's just to make it a bit more reflective of the world's population, and not just see the UK as a very solitary little sort of pool, really.
1: Ah, okay. So it's not. It's the. It, so it's replacing the word "bame." Um, yeah. Well, ethnic minority. I think. Yeah. Okay, and I shouldn't have mentioned Bane. Maybe, yeah. It's confusing though, it
0: is confusing. Yeah,
1: it's just kind of what to use when. Um, So when we were recording some of the COVID episodes and they were bringing out um, some of the evidence was coming out around... Um, the risk factors towards who was going to get the more severe COVID. And that was, the I think, when I first heard the term BAME. But, yeah, I am aware it's been phasing it out, essentially, because it is, like you say, it's it's quite amorphous. Um, What what kind of terms are better?
2: Yeah, so I think people of colour is absolutely fine. Um, If you want to start using the phrase global majority, then we'll probably be going to be hearing more of it. I think, personally, for me, the problem with BAME is in that one term, you're saying that somebody falls into the same bracket as if they were from Ghana, as opposed to Korea. And it's just, it's just so not true. (laughs) So even though, you know, we've used it an awful lot in the literature, especially around COVID, as you said, um, and some people are still comfortable with it and they're they're still happy to use it. I think for the landscape of the future, it probably looks like it's probably going to be phased out. Yeah. Um, Thanks for
1: talking us through the terms. What are the things that you'd like to us to take away from this talk? So what do we need to know about this topic?
2: Yeah, great. So um, I think it's probably worth being mindful of discrimination, whether it's race, age, gender, religion, disability, identity, because it does happen, sadly. Um, and again, it's not for me to dictate this at all. But we probably, I would encourage our listeners, especially those in a leadership position, to have some sort of robust policy on how you would tackle this in your organisation. Because I think it's also important to note as well, we all have blind spots, and this can inadvertently lead to an ignorant or inappropriate comment. It happens, we're humans, it's life. Um, But if we can turn that into a learning event to stop it happening again, or stop it harming someone, then it shows that we're growing and evolving as people. Um, And I think if that doesn't happen, that's when it becomes problematic. So it's probably just being aware that it's a learning process, really. We're all learning, um, but being open, having conversations like this
0: is probably going to be really helpful. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask, do you have any advice for um, people on the ground who aren't necessarily in leadership positions who've experienced um, some discrimination and how they can maybe speak up about that? Because it can be quite a daunting experience for someone within an organization to actually do that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing to do is to share the experience with someone that you trust. So whether that's a friend, a colleague, a family member, someone who you find trustworthy because a shared worry is quite often a halved worry. And in that initial moment, there'll be lots of things going through your mind. And, you know, it, it almost feels like an attack on your identity. And that really hurts. And that can be quite hard to navigate. Um. And I think speaking to someone you trust is a really great way of just trying to work your way through that emotion and trying to think about what the next steps are. Being quite factual about what's happened when the dust has settled. So making a little log of exactly what happened is probably quite helpful as well, especially if you are going to report it to another colleague or someone a little bit senior. Um, but it's also helpful to have an ally. And like I said, allies can be anywhere. So anyone that you trust that you can share this worry with and can help you through that process. And quite often, if you do go to you know a senior member or your line manager or the next person up, um, they should have a policy in place to help you. And quite often, if you're a member of, you know, unions like the BMA, they should also have some advice available to help you as well. So that might be a good first step.
0: Brilliant. Thanks. That's really helpful.
1: I thought we'd sort of approach the topic with a bit of a Pendleton feedback kind of (laughs) model. So (laughs) uh,
0: I've
1: added in the kind of question about what what's being done um, to try and help everyone learn about this topic um, and what's being done well and what could we be doing better
2: Yeah, absolutely. So there's loads of great things happening um, in this sphere. So I don't want to be all doom and gloom because there are some really wonderful projects um, sort of on the ground. So the NHS in general has a responsibility to adhere to the Equality Act of 2010, uh, meaning they've got a duty to provide equal opportunities, not discriminate. And they're expected to follow their own diversity principles in the hiring process, which is great. Um, Recently, the NHS have also commissioned the NHS Leadership Academy to produce an online module outlining um, inclusive leadership in health and care. And this can be leadership in any aspect, you know, even if you're a salaried GP or a locum, you're still probably doing something in a leadership capacity. Um, and I'd highly recommend this because this module is really good for opening the dialogue and getting people talking about topics that they might not felt comfortable addressing previously. And it's free for anyone who works in the NHS. So that's a really wonderful thing that's been done. Some trusts have cultural awareness training, um, which is also helpful with respect to tackling health inequalities as well. And I know that was a, a previous topic and it's probably quite delicately intertwined with our, our topic today as well, actually. And then. Um, so I do a lot of work with our international uh, medical graduates and, um, there are some big moves being made for an, an induction program for people who are coming to the NHS from abroad um, rather than just sort of being thrust under the ward on call. So, um, yeah. that's great. It's really well overdue. and um, but it's a wonderful new, very welcome venture. So I think that's also going to be great as well. Um, how we could do better. So. Really, what I want to do is kind of try and approach this practically, because I always find, you know, I like quite practical solutions. I think I'm quite practical based. Like I want to know what can I go away and do straight away? And I guess this is where the little things actually become quite big things. So, for example, we mentioned about names before, just making sure you're pronouncing someone's name correctly. It might seem like, you know, um, energy wise, a little thing to do, but it has quite big repercussions. Um. Trying to think about the teams that you're working in or have they got psychological safety? If not, is that something worth working on? Maybe being mindful that you're not speaking for someone. Um, Thinking about being an ally, if that's something that you're interested in. And um, I'll signpost a resource at the end of today's podcast, but allyship is really helpful. And I guess just in general, um, just trying to listen, learn, reflect. When experiences of being marginalised are being shared and approaching it with compassion and empathy, um, which yeah can be really really helpful actually. I think most things in life, if they're approached with enough compassion and empathy, and um, can be navigated fairly well.
0: um And you you have mentioned some resources that you're going to sign post to throughout. So you want to hit us with them now. What are your best resources? Oh yeah, true. Okay, so I'm a big fan of resources. And,
2: um, so these are free because just in case that's a barrier to any listeners, they're all free. I've used all of them and I've found them helpful. So I've tried to whittle it down to a few because I don't want to overwhelm anyone today. Um, so if you've ever been to a talk that I've done before, you'll know that I love a good TED talk. Um, just I think it's a great way to absorb information through osmosis. Um, and I probably spend an unhealthy amount of time listening to them. But there's lots of really useful things out there. So two that I found quite helpful. Um, one was by Professor Amy Edmondson, who I mentioned earlier. Her TED talk is called Building a Psychologically Safe Workplace, which is a really useful but practical talk outlining the principles of psychologically psychological safety in a lot more detail than I've I've mentioned today. And then the second one is another TED talk by somebody called Tiffany Alvoid, who is a lawyer or an attorney, I think they call them from America. And again, she does a much better example of explaining microaggressions than I've done today. So that's a really useful talk to listen to. Um, A couple of other ones that don't involve the word TED. Professor Kamara Jones, she is a GP slash family physician Um, She's also a Harvard professor and she did a talk very recently um, called, well, titled Anti-Racism and Health, which was streamed live by King's College earlier this year. And it's quite insightful. It's in a few parts. It's totally free, available on their website, and it's well worth a watch. And she uses um, research and statistics and some lived experience. So that's that's a really interesting watch, actually. Mm. And then I think I touched on this before. So the NHS uh, Leadership Academy, they've got an online course titled Inclusive Leadership in Health and Care. I learned so much from it and it's based on diversity in all senses of the word. So I know I've touched on racism and race more today just because that's my lived experience but there's so many other ways um, that encompasses diversity Um, and this module touches on them and I think it's probably a great starting point for anyone who's interested in the topic as well. Amazing.
1: Those are all so useful. And I think it's been quite a big ask to ask you to talk about this topic so generally. And so, just sort of wrapping up, really, um, what are the main learning points that you'd like people to take from the talk today?
2: Um, So, what I really wanted today is for the focus of the podcast to be on learning and for this to be a bit of a gentle dive into the very complex and nuanced world of diversity and inclusivity. And like I said, I could probably talk about this for days. Um, But The conversation today, it might have introduced some totally new concepts um, for some listeners and maybe not for others, Which both of which are great outcomes, really. So I've kind of got four take home messages from today, but I don't have a fancy mnemonic for them. Sorry, (laughs) I do love (laughs) a fancy mnemonic. Um, So I think for my first one, um, I I try and adopt an approach that I've called um, surveying the landscape. And essentially all this involves is just me looking around the room and asking myself who's in the room with you is this a diverse and representative room if not is it worth me asking why not because i think learning to survey the landscape is a great way to promote diversity in your teams um and th- through me doing that i've also learned to pick up a few red flags as well so you you find that you know there might be certain patterns that you're seeing but i think as a start it's probably a useful thing to start doing um i think the second thing is just to ask yourself, am I representing the cohort I'm working with fairly? So are you speaking on behalf of someone? Um, And I think that's fairly self-explanatory really. The third one, so sometimes before I speak or ask a question, it's mainly before I ask a question actually, I find a useful thing to say to myself um, is, am I coming from a place of privilege or bias, whether it's subconscious or unconscious? And sometimes the results really surprise me and it's worth being mindful of that actually, because it's quite a powerful reflection to make, and it might even change your perception on things. So, I think it's a useful a tool, just a reflective tool, really. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think the last one won't surprise you, but just to think and act with compassion. We show it to our patients, you know, we can absolutely show it to our marginalized colleagues as well. And this is where allyship comes in as well. It's based on compassion. If you witness something that makes you feel uncomfortable, you know, maybe try and call it out. Because I think compassion, yeah, leading with compassion is certainly something that's, um, yeah, that's useful. And the only other thing that I wanted to add today as well, I wanted to leave with a quote that I thought summarised our conversation nicely. So this is from a poet called Audre Lorde, and I read it not too long ago, actually. I was like, that's perfect. And so I use it everywhere now, so it's right to everyone. <laughs> and, uh, and and she said, um, it's not the differences that divide us, it's the inability to recognise accept and celebrate them and I think that just covers everything that we've talked about today quite nicely really
0: yeah that's fantastic thank you so much my day it's been a really lovely overview of this topic and you've spoken so well about it and we're really happy that you've been able to come on and talk to us today so thank you oh, it's been
2: my absolute pleasure thank you so much for having me it's been yeah it's been wonderful to be able to have such an open honest
0: conversation so thank you mm-hmm. Yeah, So it was so lovely to speak to Maida. Um, As a bit of a background, I had worked with her in the past um, and it was a lovely little blast from the past um, to have a chat with her again. So it was so nice to see her. Um, What did you take away, Sarah? Yeah, I think it's a
1: really good topic to cover and it's sort of broad coverage, but so important. So just hearing about the stat that one in five GPs have, have actually encountered racism and then also like she said sort of explaining about the different types of diversity and equality issues that we're talking about so yes today we sort of spoke a little towards towards race but that generally the take-home points that you can translate to all different types of diversity are so important so i I really did like her take-home points as well um but yeah i really liked when she talked about psychological safety and not speaking for people and being an ally
0: as well such good points. Um and yes, I also found it really interesting when she talked about surveying the landscape. So if you are in meetings, if you're in places where people are making decisions particularly, um, to have a little think about who's in the room and are people adequately represented, um, particularly within your organization, are your employees adequately represented by the leadership that are there making decisions for them? and um, your patient group, are they adequately represented? I think that's really important and I'm definitely mm-hmm. gonna take that away um as a useful tool to actually do.
1: Yeah. I think Thinking about unconscious bias is so important and just being aware that, look, we all have b- blind spots, like she said, and it is, it's is—it's just, yeah, who's in the room and how do we represent a diverse group of people?
0: Yeah, and even like she said um, at the beginning, all that stuff um, and the stats about diverse leaderships and how um, the research shows yeah. that there's um decreased mortality and better decision-making and um, inclusive workplaces and better... Um, employee well-being it just it's a no-brainer isn't it if you can make it work um if the, the numbers show that um but yeah it was it was fascinating and i also think um her question where she asked herself um am i coming from a place of privilege or bias um yeah. that wow um yeah i can even see myself using it now um i think it's gonna be a really important yeah. check um in my head and i think even outside of the workplace and personal life and everywhere and um, in interactions with people um I'll, i think i'll definitely be using that going forward yeah um and
1: her resources are i can't wait to check out i think there's there's a lot there so it's lovely that she was able to give an overview of such a broad topic and then go into get into other areas where we can kind of check things out and also where to look for advice if there's certain things that we're that we are dealing with uh, so yeah um thanks
0: very much for everybody who's gotten to this stage we appreciate you listening till the end um if you want to get in touch with us you can do so in all the usual ways and we'll put those in our episode description and um, thank you to everyone who gives us feedback and um, we are still iterating and improving and coming up with topic areas so if you've got anything in particular that you want to hear then please do get in touch Till next time. On Primary Care Knowledge Boost.
1: This podcast has been able to continue to date due to the support of GP Excellence, Wigan Borough CCG, Greater Manchester Training Hub and the GP Fellowship Programme, as well as Greater Manchester Health and Social Care
0: Partnership. Just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public. They were recorded in 2023. Guidelines
1: can vary by location as well as over time so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines
0: before making treatment decisions. The content is based on our interviewees' opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast.